0: One of my, my favourite books in the Bible is Habakkuk. Um, it's one of the, the group of books called the Minor Prophets. Uh, so you've got major ones, they're the, they're the big ones, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and the Old Testament. There. and You've got about a dozen Minor Prophets and Habakkuk is one of them. And it's been a favourite book of mine for a long time, although the last time I spoke about it was open nearly 20 years ago. I think I was first attracted to the book because of the name, Habakkuk. It's just a great name. It's so different and unique. And I was also uh, attracted because it's short. You know, you can read it in less than five minutes. So that's good. But then I realised a few more things about it that I've really enjoyed. One is that it's still such a relevant book to us in this time now. So although uh, Habakkuk was talking at about the time of... um, we know there was twelve uh, tribes of Israel. They got, you know, the ten commandments from God. Uh, after time, you know, they they sinned. and so they the, the northern ten tribes were taken off by the Assyrians. The time of Habakkuk is a bit after that, and he's in the southern He's one of the two uh, southern tribes there down in, in Judah around Jerusalem. Well, it's actually about the time that the Babylonians. That succeeded, the Assyrians uh, started, you know, flexing their muscle and invading Judah. What else has happened around that time? So he's he's talking around about the time of Daniel and uh, Jeremiah, and it's also happened that um, Nineveh. Remember how God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach to Nineveh, and uh, they repented. So Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Jonah was pretty upset that God was giving the Assyrians this terrible nation that had conquered the northern 10 tribes. He was giving them a chance, and God did give them a chance, and they repented, and there was a wonderful restoration for a time. But then they fell back into their old sinful ways, and about 150 years later, from the prophecy of Nahum, uh, God caused them to come to the end of their power. Habakkuk is around about this time. So uh, Nineveh's been destroyed, power of the Assyrians is waning, and the power of the Babylonians is increasing. So while that's the context in which this book is written, so much of the book is so relevant for today. The things that Habakkuk complains about are the things that are happening today. And uh, God's answer was relevant to Habakkuk with respect to the Babylonians, uh, relevant when Paul preached to um, the guys in Antioch, uh, and he used this scripture and it's relevant to us as we anticipate the return of the Lord. So it's a really relevant book for us. The other thing that I really like about this book or that I enjoy in this book is this guy Habakkuk, he's got a problem with God and uh, he, he doesn't. what he's um, observing is a lot of uh, wickedness in, in Jerusalem and around Judah at the time and he's complaining to God. He has the temerity to complain, to stand up to God and say, what is going on here? What, what's neat about this, and it's quite informative, in fact, is that God just doesn't strike him down you know, with a bolt of lightning. But he answers Habakkuk, and he answers Habakkuk because of the attitude that Habakkuk came to um, God with. So he dares to argue with God. There's not too many people that did that. Someone else that argued with God was um, Moses. You might recall that God was ready to wipe out Israel and start again. And Moses says, no, hang on a bit. You can't do that. And he, he actually has this, this argument with God. And, uh, and he wins the argument, what's more. And God said that God repented of his desire to do away with Israel. So Moses won that argument. So do you realise what that means? That we are able to influence and change God's mind. That's quite incredible. Maybe that really does give us an idea of how powerful our prayer is. How powerful it is when we communicate, when we relate, when we connect with the God of of everything. We have the ability to influence and to direct his power. It's just a wonderful thought to have. So, as I said, God didn't um, get cranky at at Habakkuk because of his questions, and and that was because of his attitude when he prayed. These are some of the aspects of of that attitude that Habakkuk prayed with. He was firm, but he was polite. He was insistent, but he was patient. He was bold, but he was also humble. And, uh, you know, we read in Luke 11 about how God wants us to come to him when we're seeking for the Holy Spirit as that specific example. And he wants us hammering on the door. He doesn't want us meek and mild. He doesn't want us coming to him, you know, oh, woeful sinner that I am. Yes, we are woeful sinners. But God wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That's a really powerful thought. So Habakkuk, firm but polite. So he wasn't rude to God. But he was insistent. Nevertheless, he was patient in in, uh, getting the answer. And he was bold and humble at the same time. You don't think of bold people as being humble, but that is what God wants us to be. He rejoices when we come to him boldly, but in humility, waiting on him for the answers, whatever they might be. So there are times, you know, we, we go to God, God, we don't understand. You know, it doesn't make sense. But... We'll wait here patiently until we get your answer. And what's more, we'll accept whatever you say, whether we understand it or not. That's a really big lesson that comes out of Habakkuk. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says that, that his ways are higher than our ways. Romans eleven thirteen says, who can understand the mind of God? 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, it talks about the, the wisdom of men been still way less than the foolishness of God. What a strange idea that is, the foolishness of God. What a crazy thought. We don't know too much about Habakkuk, his name, uh, and the man himself. His name probably means to embrace, to cling on to, to hug tightly, to not let go. It's like a dog with a bone. You've seen a dog with a bone, haven't you? They're not going to let go, and they're probably going to growl at the same time if you try and take it off them. They don't like that, and that's a bit of what's um, contained in, in the name Habakkuk, and it really does describe a little bit of how Habakkuk again approached God. It's got some favourite scriptures, famous favourite scriptures. Uh, I've got five here. In chapter two, verse fourteen, these are scriptures that have you mightn't even probably don't even know where they come from, but most of us would have heard of them. So, in chapter two, verse fourteen, it says, "As far as the waters fill the sea." all the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the awareness of the glory of God. This is part of our hope. For as the waters fill the sea, and they do thoroughly, don't they? The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's in 2.14. In two twenty, it says that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. In other words, let there be respect. Let there be waiting on his word. Let it be subject to him. Let all the earth be silent. In uh, chapter 3, verse 2, In your wrath, remember mercy. In the wrath that you are justified in having towards mankind, who have sinned against you and have turned and rejected you, in your wrath, nevertheless, remember mercy. In chapter 3, verse 17, Though the fig tree does not blossom, there be no herd in the stall, And a few other things, although I'm destitute, yet will I rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. And then the big one, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous, the just shall live by faith. A scripture that used three times and referenced three times in the New Testament. So in terms of a subtitle for this talk, I've got two. The first one is Fostered by Faith coming out of that scripture in 2 verse 4 about the just living by faith. So one of my subtitles for this book is fostered by faith. So fostered, it's to be adopted into a family. It's it's a situation where you don't belong to that family, naturally speaking. You know, you've been born somewhere else. But when you're fostered into a family, someone has said, I love you and I care for you and I'm going to spend my time on you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to you know, feed you and clothe you and house you. I'm going to look after you. We are fostered by God. That wonderful expression, being born again. We are born again into a new family of Jesus Christ. We're adopted in, by God. And the other title I had was the joy of the puzzled saint. Joy of the puzzled saint. So I'm sure that we have all been puzzled and perhaps more than puzzled, confused even, distressed at times. And more than one time, we will have asked God, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And there is an answer for everything that happens to us. It's got five main parts, Habakkuk. In the first part, Habakkuk has a little complaint about his evil society, where he's living. Uh, The second part, God agrees with Habakkuk. It's not right what's going on at the moment. But don't worry, Habakkuk. I've, uh, I've got a plan to punish uh, the nation and all those that have been doing evil. God says that I'm going to punish. He's going to use these evil Babylonians to do it. And they were not pleasant in the way that they treated their subjects. So Habakkuk comes back in the third part and he says, well, that's not fair. to use really evil people to uh, discipline Israel. And then the fourth part, God says, don't worry, Habakkuk, I do have it all in hand. I know the end from the beginning. I know that the Babylonians are going to get their just deserts, And what's more, that the righteous are going to triumph in the end. And then the fifth part is where Habakkuk, chapter 3, just a wonderful, wonderful prayer of, of praise and thanksgiving and of, of honour to God. So let's go through that a little bit more. So chapters 1, verses 1 to 4, it's his complaint. His complaint in verses 1 to 4, he's basically saying there's violence everywhere in Jerusalem. There's no justice in the courts. The poor are getting poorer. The wicked are doing whatever they want to do. And God, you're not doing anything about it. Where are you, God? This is supposed to be a godly nation. And yet you're not part of it. And you look at anything that's happening here and it's Godless. It's wicked. Everyone is just out for themselves. Sound familiar? Maybe relevant today? In verses 5 to 11 is God's first reply, and God is agreeing with Habakkuk that the people of Jerusalem, his Israelites, his nation are wicked, but he's working on it. And he's going to get the fierce and the terrible Babylonians to come and punish Judah. In verse 5, at the NLT, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. So, as I said, you know, uh, God is talking to Habakkuk about how he's going to use the Babylonians here. Paul, uh, when he was preaching in Antioch in Acts 13, he uses this to talk about Christ and his gospel and Christ's mission. That this is too wonderful. What, you know, what Christ is going to do is too wonderful and you're going to be amazed at what he is able to do. And equally can apply, we can apply it to this time now. We are anticipating uh, the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are anticipating that now and it's going to be too wonderful to understand, too dreadful and wonderful to understand. But this is what we know. This is our hope and this is what we need to preach as well. The third part is uh, chapter one, verse 12 to um, verse one of chapter two, and it's based Habakkuk saying, "How can you use really wicked people to punish those who are only a little bit wicked?" You know imagine at school if you'd you'd been rude to a teacher and then the teacher gets the the worst kid in class. you know there's always a worst kid in class, and he gets that kid to punish you or deal out the discipline or something. That's just not fair, is it? Not right. But in this response, Habakkuk says, okay, I can understand that you're using the Babylonians and, and that they are subject to God. But he still sees that there's, they're so evil and they, you know they're just uh, full of themselves. They're full of their power, their importance, their ability to just conquer anyone. And so what sort of justice is this? And, you know, even these days, I think we'd probably go back to God and say, you know, God, that's not ethical. You know, we, in our understanding and our perception and our knowledge of what's right and wrong, God, how you're doing this is not right. It's not ethical. That's where it starts getting dangerous when we talk to God like that. When we say, God, how I believe, what I think uh, you should listen to me because really you don't have any idea. Pretty dangerous territory to be like that. And there is this, at the end of Habakkuk's time here, when he's uh, this response, is this wonderful verse, verse 1 of chapter 2. Then he says, I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart. And I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. All right? So he's asked God the hard questions. He's asked God what's confusing him at at this point in time, which doesn't seem right to him. But Habakkuk, he's saying, God, I'm going to sit and listen. I'm going to wait for you to answer me. And I'm going to hear whatever it is that you have to say, even if I'm corrected. So he's waiting humbly before God for the answer. Whoopsie says, maybe I've been a bit presumptuous in some of these points I'm making, but I will wait now quietly for his answer. It is right. It's okay to ask God when we're puzzled, when we're confused, when we don't understand what's going on and in whatever's happening. But don't presume the answer. Wait on God to respond to you, to reply to you, to speak to you. And to give you an understanding of what he's about. So the fourth part is uh, chapters two, chapter two verses two to twenty, the rest of this chapter. And he uh, he basically says, I do have it all in hand, and the Babylonians will be get their just desserts. In fact, he says at the beginning of um, uh, or verses two and three, God said to me, "Write my answer plainly on tablets, so that he may run who reads it." This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, then wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So Habakkuk is to take the answer that God is giving to him now. He's to write it in big letters so that it's obvious. He's to promote it and promulgate it through the nation of Israel. This is going to happen. It might not be in your time, It might not be exactly when you want it to happen, but it's going to happen in God's time. But it will happen. It will not be delayed. Then we come down to verse 4. Behold the proud, they trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. This really is is a peak of our... Understanding of our relationship between us and God. You know, the Old Testament, we would, I hope, all know about the Ten Commandments that God gave Israel about what to do and what not to do. And then there was some 430-odd laws and bylaws and statutes as well that they had to live by. So it was a whole bunch of rules and requirements that God had given in Israel about how they, should, uh, how they were to live. So all of these rules, they got summarised by David in Psalm 15. He summarised them down to about 11. And they are that um, he who lives blamelessly, he who works justice, who speaks truth, who does not slander or lie, who does not evil to his friends, who doesn't reproach his neighbour, who despises the evil man, who honours those who fear God, accepts all evil against him without responding back, who lends money without interest to friends, who does not accept bribes. So this is a list of the things that that David is stating are, are going to be how to live before God. Isaiah in chapter 33, 15, he summarises these to six, which are those who, it's for him who walks righteously, who speaks good things, who despises fraud, who doesn't take bribes, who doesn't listen to evil stories and doesn't look on evil. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, another one of the minor prophets, Michael says, it's the man who does justly, who loves mercy, who walks humbly. Isaiah, in chapter 56, verse 1, he summarises them to two, which is to keep justice and to do righteousness. And then here in Habakkuk, He brings it all down to one thing, that the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Who are the just? These are the people that God loves. These are the people that God has saved. These are the people that are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. These are the people that are going to rule and reign with him. These are the people that are born again. But the just shall live. It's not a -a once-in-a-time thing. We will exist, we will behave, we shall demonstrate faith. More than just receiving faith, if you like, we are also to be faithful. Both of these are encapsulated in this scripture. That means that we're not going to be controlled by what our natural minds tell us. But our minds will be able to revel in the word of God. We're not going to be controlled by what we think and feel and sense but we will still be sensitive, compassionate, joyful people. It means that we won't be distressed by the trials and problems that we have to endure in this life that just come against us. But we're going to stay patient and positive as God works through us and causes us victory and understanding about whatever we're going through. We're going to live by faith. It's going to be a continual thing. In the message it says that the person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive, really alive. Amen to that. A little bit of an aside here. Overcoming is not the same as winning. Last week I was given a talk by Pastor Warren Sherrick in the UK I can't think what he called it, but it was about, um, about dealing with the fear and the confusion that he went through recently when his wife, Wendy, passed away. Um, the talk's on our website now and you can have a listen. It's a talk about overcoming and seeing God work very powerfully, even though, in this case, Wendy died. In fact, one of the comments of the nurses was that she had never seen a passing like this. Quite impactful. So on the face of it, her death doesn't look like winning. But both he, us, Warren, and Wendy were definitely overcomers through this whole situation and they have seen, both of them have seen, God working as a result of this. In fact, death is not a failure for a saint, a death is a, is a win. You know, um, we don't have sad funerals here. There, there is sadness and grief at not being able to, you know, ever have a cuppa again with them and never have a conversation with them again for the time being. But it's, it's not a sad time at, one, you know, at a funeral of a saint. It's a glorious time of, of seeing a saint, uh, you know, finish their course, you know, hang up their boots and rest for a little bit before the glory of heaven. Before they see the glory of heaven. It's a wonderful time. So never think of death as a as a failure. The just shall live by faith. They won't just be born again or saved by faith. They will. We will continue to live in faith and faithfully. That's two things. Like in a marriage, you know, you've got to have faith in your spouse and you've got to be faithful as well. So not only have you got to be able to trust your spouse, your spouse has got to be able to trust you. Two sides of the coin. We look at God. We need to have faith in God and trust that God will do what he's going to do and we can have great confidence in God. He wants to also be able to have faith in us, in other words, that we are faithful, that he can trust us in the things that he's asked us to do. So we can't stay saved unless we continue to live faithfully, honestly, considerately, humbly, Basically, I guess, like Christ, to continue believing despite whatever might happen to us. Um, In our house meeting, we're just looking at one Peter. He is encouraging people in Turkey about uh, what they're going to have to endure. You know, there's persecution coming upon them, and he's saying them don't give up. He's saying, remember that this life is not all there is. That despite the persecution, they must still live a godly life. They must be kind and honourable and generous. They aren't to live thinking that God has given up on them because of what they're having to put up with, but confident that God will never give up up on us. Faith, the ability to feel so sure of God that no matter how dark the days, there's no doubt of the godly outcome. This scripture, as I said, is um, repeated three times in the New Testament, in Romans 1 verses 16 and 17, where Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What Jesus said, the gospel of Christ, what he said, what he brought to the earth, is the power to make anyone perfect as they believe in God and live in him. In Galatians 3.11 out of the NLT, it says, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. You know, those 400 odd things they had to do. For the scriptures say the just shall live by faith. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Instead, through Jesus Christ in verse 14, we who are believers might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So we can't make ourselves acceptable to God. Only God can make us acceptable to him. You know, we say that all the time. We repeat that all the time. We cannot make ourselves good enough for God. God's got to do that for us. But there's a responsibility once we are born again to be faithful, to make good choices, to serve God, to operate the gifts that God has given each of us to use. And then Hebrews 10.38 Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So that's a pretty sobering scripture. That if anyone draws back from the life and the liberty that God has granted to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the death of his son, God's soul has no pleasure in that person. Instead of being called a friend of God, out of Hebrews we are actually not known of by God. What a terrible place to be in. So keep the faith. So that's verse 4. In the rest of God's reply, he acknowledges uh, the, the, the wickedness of Babylon and says that in the end they won't prosper. And he finishes with that scripture, the Lord is in his place, let all the earth keep silence before him. And then there's this wonderful prayer of Habakkuk from, in chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet in verse 1, set to wild, enthusiastic and triumphal music. That's out of the Amplified. When we hear things from God, they are to be rejoiced in. Even when they are warnings of what's going to happen, of the judgment of God, these are things that are to be shouted. These are things that we can warn others of. And not just for us to sit back and wait for God to do his thing. There's action for us to take. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic and triumphal music. I love that. He starts in verse 2, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again, as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, Remember mercy. So in verses 3 to 16, Habakkuk is reminding himself of, of the good things that God has done for Israel. It is always good for us to remember and to count our blessings. Always good for us to count our blessings. You feel if God isn't hearing your prayer right now, Remind yourself of the times that He has responded, and I know He has. You know, sometimes we can get into a dark place and not think, and think that God has never responded to our prayer. We can get into a deep and a dark place, but He has. You stop and remember about the times where God has responded to you. So count your blessings. If it's been a while, listen to someone else's remarkable testimony. I guess that's one of the reasons why we share testimonies here as well, that to keep reminding ourselves of how God is working in all of our different lives in the different ways in our different lives. You know, there are people that have been through depression and come out of it. There are people that have been really ill and come out of it through the power of God. Wonderful miracles. If you've never had to have a remarkable healing, Hear of a remarkable healing from someone else Who's had to go through that particular trial If you're finding it hard to pray Ask someone else to pray with you Or just get into the prayer room Always open, always available Just get in there, even if no one else is there Have some prayer Verses 17 to 19 Though the fig tree does not blossom Though there be no fruit on the vines The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food The flock is cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I am destitute, says Habakkuk. Even if I am destitute, if I have nothing in front of me, nothing to eat, and no prospect of it, if I'm poor and blind and hungry, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is an attitude of faith. This is an attitude of confidence before God. Yet will I rejoice in the God, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That is really hard sometimes, but it is possible in every situation through the power of the Holy Spirit. What, however dark and however low you might sometimes get, you get into the Holy Spirit. You feed the fire that God has put in, in inside you. You feed the fire of the Holy Spirit and you see it where you awaken and you see the power come from there. If you can't do it by yourself, then do it with someone else. We are here, all of us, we're here for each other, aren't we? Amen? We are here for each other. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as deer, able to tread upon the heights. Habakkuk talks about deer here. I must admit the picture that I got was of you know the, the film we see of the, um, of the mountain goats in Tibet and all those really high, craggy places. And there is just amazing how they can possibly run and jump and climb up and down. It's incredible what they're able to do with no ropes. So that's what God does for us. He makes me as sure-footed as it is. So even however rough our life might be, however craggy, however high, however low it might be, He makes us sure-footed in that terrain like a deer or or a mountain goat. Habakkuk here is reiterating his faith in God, that whatever his personal circumstances, he is going to joy in the God of salvation. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So Habakkuk, fostered by faith and the joy of the puzzled saint. Just a quick recap of, of the main points. Sometimes it looks like God is not in control, but even when we mightn't see it, he is. He is currently allowing sin and evil for a time, but there's going to be an end to it. We are so confident of that. And Christ will return, he will take over, he will rule and he will reign, and it's going to be good, particularly because we're there helping him making such a good job. The just, those people that God finds acceptable, those that God is preparing a place for, those are us who live lives guided by our spiritual eyes rather than our physical eyes. You know, whatever might be happening to us, nevertheless we see what's more important than that. What's more permanent than that? What's more real and what's more true than that? In the end it is the man that stays faithful and loyal to God. Man or woman who stays faithful and loyal to God who will live eternally. And despite whatever happens, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And all the people said, Amen. Claim it. God bless.